0: Guru Nation, welcome to episode 439 of Random Usings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, Chris and I discussed during the Site Owner Academy uh, different ways that small private practice physicians, small practice, it, it could apply to larger ones as well, but really for the purposes of this Site Owner Academy session, it was small private practices, how they can start incorporating clinical research. Into their um, business and into their um, uh, revenue streams, how to how to start incorporating clinical research. So, uh, obviously, this is for anybody interested in starting a site, owning a site, but it also applies to many uh, who are looking to break into the industry specifically um, if you want to break in as an intern and I'm going to focus another uh, podcast episode and video. I'm actually going to go in depth on how people can break into the clinical research industry uh, in a future piece of content. But for now, how to incorporate clinical research into your private practice. Check out links in the show notes to the CRA Academy, CRC Academy, to the Patreon channel. The Patreon channel is only five bucks a month. I have weekly videos on how to improve your business opportunities uh, using digital media, social media, how to build your brand. We also have a monthly mastermind included in this price of $5 a month uh, where we discuss with everyone else in the Patreon channel, what we're doing, Uh, to improve our opportunities, how we are um, helping each other out, how we're keeping each other accountable, all these kind of things. So this is something that we will uh, definitely look to do more of during these Patreon monthly masterminds. Also, if you want more studies for your site, okay, text me 949-415-6256. With all that being said, hope you enjoyed this episode. So, hey, everybody, welcome to another um, episode of the Site Owner Academy, which now uh, we're also featuring just the recordings, not the entire Site Owner Academy sessions, but just the recordings of these presentations that you see if you're on YouTube and that you can hear our pleasant voices if you are on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, Right, Chris. Then especially now, Chris is crystal clear with his brand new microphone.
1: How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, crystal clear, eh?
0: Yeah, it makes a world of a difference. The, the audio. I mean, it's like really good. Good. So, kudos to you for joining 2020 uh, with the with the audio uh, standards.
1: <laughs> and you know, the mute button does work because I hadn't uh, configured it to accept these headphones but uh, I tested it while you were talking with Dr. B and you couldn't hear me. No, no, oh, you hear me.
0: Perfect. So it does work then. Uh, good. Glad, yep. glad you're all set and situated. Yep. So yeah.
1: the audience doesn't have to hear me sneeze or cough or burp or whatever the case may be.
0: Right. Yeah. The, you know, the, uh, <laughs> sports announcers have those also in the, exactly. uh, you know, yep. when they have to sneeze or cough, they, they just hit a button. So yeah, you know, that's a uh, really good, um, I uh, will get started and uh, Chris, thank you very much for putting up the slides. So this is about small physician private practices, adding clinical research businesses to the private practice. We've actually been doing a lot of these kind of content recently because there's been a lot of pent up demand. I think a lot of these physicians who are used to being uh, busy at a certain level, uh, because of the lockdowns and the social distancing requirements. You know, the waiting rooms are uh, not at full capacity, so they're not as busy as usual, and that means they're not making as much money as usual. they uh, so looking so- for new
1: rever- revenue streams, and that's a good point. So when things return to normal, are they still going to be
0: interested in research, though? Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, I would assume the ones that are successfully doing research during the pandemic or have successfully figured it out, we'll sort of see the light that we all saw at some point. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not physicians, but, you know, it, it's pretty much the same thing. Like, we're still doing research. Some years are great, uh, some years not so great as far as the sites are concerned. But I think it's a perfect uh, supplement to any private practice.
1: Sure. I-, I would absolutely agree. Absolutely. Especially at times like this is a good time to start because uh, you have more time to figure out exactly how to do this. Right when you're slower.
0: And diversification is never uh, a bad thing. I mean, you know, the like starting these research sites, this is you're diversifying your practice. You're basically creating another revenue stream for your private practice that really it is dependent on your private practice, but if you you were to uh, not do private practice anymore, as long as you've been able to build up a database of uh, patients, your research clinic should still stand on its own, right? Mm-hmm. So it's always better if you have the private practice as well. But yeah, so that's a good point, actually, Chris. How many doctors who are new to research and got into it because of the pandemic are going to stay? I mean, if you look at the stats before. COVID. Yeah, I think it's something like 90% of physicians who do their first study never do a second one. I don't think that's going to change whether there was a pandemic or not. Uh, So I think that's your answer is the like history. Yeah, I would probably
1: agree with that. Maybe a little less just because, again, it's still kind of slow. So they have more opportunity to figure it out. You got to think those those statistics have been accumulated in times when things were normal and they were already busy. So they just can't dedicate themselves to learning the process. So maybe a little less than 90, but probably not
0: significantly. Uh, Okay, good. Yeah. So here you can see on the image, for those of you listening, there's a guy pushing, it could have been a female also, but pushing a boulder up a hill. Uh, No, it pretty
1: much looks like a guy.
0: Yeah, no, that's a guy, but it could have been a female. I mean, you know, these days, Uh, (laughs) you know, the other day I was on um, my exercise bike Uh, doing the, I'm on Peloton for those listening. And uh, one of the instructors is like a former boxer. My wife was telling me, and she was like throwing these combos on the bike. And I had no idea she was a boxer. And I was like, wow, this girl looks like she could fight and she was throwing like some mean combos like shadow boxing and then uh, it turns out she's a professional fighter so uh, hats off to anyone doing stuff like that that's hard hard no matter what your gender is mhm uh so there's somebody pushing up a boulder up a rock and that's kind of the analogy to starting a research site um many people are aware of the low barrier to entry in research there is it really is a low barrier of entry the, the hardest part is like figuring out all the things. And that's where we kind of carved out our niche. We, we kind of are shedding light on how to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's a relatively small audience, it is growing and we appreciate you guys. But it's not like hard to get in. You know, it's hard maybe to put all the information together. Uh, but within your first two years of opening a research site, uh, those are the toughest years and, and that's for any small business but especially for research a lot of expenses and little to no income i mean would you agree with this chris mm,
1: I, I, not exactly I, I would say that's probably true for the first year mm-hmm. for for probably the vast majority i mean some are successful almost right out of the gate but I would say the first year, little to no income. I would hope to start seeing income after a year, at least your break even, if not showing a profit after a year. Now for some sites, especially in the more competitive areas, it could take longer and usually it does. Um, but again, there, it's not always that, that case as well. Uh, I think a year is a good time point that too.
0: A year, yeah. I think the reason Carlos put two is because in one of the podcasts, I think I mentioned your first two years are the toughest. If you get through those first two years, I think it should be relatively smooth sailing. Uh, that I mean, would make sense. Yeah, I, um, I could see that. But when Most I say businesses- smooth sailing, yeah, when I say smooth sailing, though, I don't think that the business is guaranteed to continue growing every year. Uh, but it's the chances of you going out of business decrease tremendously after that second year. Yeah. Every year you're in business
1: after that second year, the less likely you're going out of business in the future.
0: Right. I mean, we run sites all the time. We run small sites. And some years we're doing really well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're we're well past that two-year mark for all of these sites that I'm talking about. The, the three that we primarily deal with right. on a regular basis. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are always able to pay ourselves every year. Uh, but the years that we are able to pay ourselves sort of make up for the years that don't. So after that two year mark, you're it's hard to go out of business, right? At the minimum, the floor should be your business is just breaking even. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that should be the floor after that two year mark. Right. And then that should give you enough time to fix the problems Uh, because you can only break even for so long before partners start to not get interested anymore. So you got to at some point rev it up like this guy on the image, you know, rolling the ball up the hill, the boulder up the hill. Um, But, you know, we know many site owners that continue growing their site year after year. And uh, just like we're growing our site network, our site network is a really good example of us continuing to grow year after year. And some of the sites that we own, you know their graph is more like uh, up and down. You know, but it's mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. trajecting for the most part up. If you look at yeah. a long enough time horizon, it mm-hmm. should still be trending up. Mm-hmm. Um, site owners are forced to do most of the work for the first few years, and they and they can easily work eighty to one hundred hours per week. That's yeah, I, don't know what that,
1: I don't know where Carlos is getting those numbers. <laughs> one hundred hours a I week, you're not that, sleeping.
0: I mentioned it in a podcast and you uh took issue with that as well. You mentioned and said, eighty
1: and I took issue with it, not a hundred.
0: So Chris, what do you think about this heavy workload that can strain the site's ability to develop their business initially and find new studies?
2: Oh absolutely. Now when we speak of a heavy workload, uh I think uh eighty to a hundred hours is not um realistic. I don't think anybody can work 100 hours. I mean, unless they're using some sort of, uh, stimulant, some sort of pharmaceutical help. Yeah. So for like me, it was a lot of, of
0: um, a lot of coffee, a lot of caffeine was, was my, uh, stimulant.
2: Well, well, how many hours are in a week? 24 times seven is 168. Right. So yeah, a hundred hours. Yeah. I don't think I've never worked a hundred hours ever in
0: a week. Yeah, Uh, well, there were certainly times where it felt that way for me. Um, But it was probably closer to 80. Uh, So the point is, you're going to feel like this guy pushing this boulder up a hill when you're starting. There's a thing called momentum. Momentum is your friend. Uh, Momentum is very important in business. Um, Matter of fact, momentum... Getting your business started is the process of creating momentum, right? So that yeah. effort should make things easier for you once you have momentum. Uh, and to get momentum, okay, the dictionary, the dictionary definition of momentum, describe it as the product of the mass and the velocity of an object, translate it into entrepreneurial terms, It's the product of who you are and the speed at which you're moving forward. This is coming from a book I'm reading by Patrick Bet-David, Your Next Five Moves. And so the point of getting momentum is to, the next step is to scale, right? And um, you need the momentum in order to scale. Because to scale, you need to create the systems so you can replicate your opportunities. But when you're creating momentum, you're creating opportunities. So that's why it's difficult. But we can go to the next slide. It's a great book, by the way, Your Next Five Moves.
2: uh, And I would completely agree with the momentum. Um, I would just like to add, I think uh, starting out as a site owner, you most definitely, especially if if much of this is new to you, uh, you can anticipate putting in somewhere between 60 to 80 hours a week. I would say that's relatively common. My opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, next slide. Next slide, sir. Uh, medical assistant interns. Ah, a great, um, a great, and a secret, uh, a weapon of ours. Medical assistants. Uh, one way to reduce the strain that sites experience is to find MAS to intern at the sites. MAs can be really good. Not only do they know how to draw blood and possibly set up the ECGs and collect vitals and all the things they were trained on doing, right? But you can actually find potential a study coordinator amongst your medical assistant interns. And the best part about medical assistants are is the fact that you don't have to pay for them they there are medical assistant schools located across the country across the united states that are looking for clinics like yours to send their externs to do an externship right mm-hmm. and i don't honestly i don't know the difference between an externship and an internship i use them as the same to me they mean the same thing maybe i'm wrong point is you're not paying for them uh So you're getting essentially free labor. Uh, Now, not all the externs that you're going to get are going to be worthy of being coordinators. You're going to learn that quickly. But typically, one out of the 10, from our experiences, one out of 10 show an interest in research uh, beyond their colleagues, meaning they don't just do what you tell them because that's their job as far as an MA, but they take an initiative to get curious about research. Like, what is this clinical research stuff? One out of 10 will actually have that interest. And if you have that, you have potential because research is very interesting. And if somebody takes an interest to it, they're more likely to want to be a coordinator. So when you work with interns, you can look for ways for them to help you develop your business. Your medical assistant interns can review your clinic's EMRs to find patients that might qualify for a study. Uh, You can also look for incentives for MAs to find patient leads or talk to sponsor reps for new studies. I just talked to one of my Patreon members this morning. She also happens to be in our CRA Academy, Chris. Did you know that one of my Patreons is actually in our CRA Academy, Chris? I think you had mentioned that before. That rings a bell. Yeah, we've had clients that are patrons. But this is the first time I think there is a student that's a patron. But we talked, we spent like 20 minutes this morning talking about building a brand and how she, if she really wants to demonstrate value to a site, she needs to learn now how to get studies. And it's really just a matter of going to clinicaltrials.gov and emailing people uh, in regards to studies that they may have, and the fact that you work with potential investigators who are looking to, uh, to participate in studies. This is especially true in this day and age in a 2020 world where diversity is everything and minority participation is everything in uh, clinical research. So if you're able to find uh, clinicians, minority clinicians especially, then you can convince the sponsors. I mean, Chris, you and I are working on one of these projects right now where we're looking to increase diversity in six protocols, right? And so our theory has always been it's a grassroots approach. You want more African-Americans in your studies. Guess what? I think you need more African-American clinicians, whether they be nurse practitioners, physician assistants, or physicians themselves participating in research. And what does that mean? That means that they should be doing something similar to Site Owner Academy. They should be educating themselves. They should be educating their staff. Uh, They should um, learn, you know, what it takes to run a study. And they should be given the opportunity to create more revenue for their private practice by adding research. This is how we started this webinar with. So if you are an intern... You have to integrate everything that you're learning. You have to integrate what sponsors want. Okay, what do sponsors want besides more patients? Obviously, everybody knows sponsors want more patients for their studies. But right now, sponsors want more minority patients above all else in their studies. So if I'm an intern, I take that piece of knowledge that I have, which is a fact. I take the other piece of knowledge where I know clinicians in certain areas and then i put the two together and you're the middle man or middle woman i mean what better way to get yourself into clinical research than to be the connector and we don't see too many people doing this and it's tremendous opportunity so Mm -hmm. basically all that to say there is value in your interns sometimes there's much more value than you may think what do you think about this
2: Oh, absolutely. And uh, I would especially agree with that last uh, point you just made, the additional value, because maybe they, uh, well, I wouldn't say maybe, almost certainly they know things that you do not know. And you never know when something may come up in which you need to do this particular activity or, or job or whatever it might be. You have no idea how to go about it. And here's this intern, maybe, you know, they're fresh out of college and they're just taking a couple classes on this particular Um, problem and they can certainly help solve that problem for you
0: right right i think uh we can go to the last slide now uh but this has been a great webinar actually improving your site okay so this is part of the scaling so after the two-year mark right around the two-year mark some people get there sooner some people it takes longer right around the time you've achieved momentum basic momentum, sufficient momentum to start scaling. You need to start thinking about improving your site. So any intern, recruiter, or employee can help your site grow, but you can't expect them to constantly bring you more studies or patients. Uh, this is your duty as a site owner, is to incentivize, motivate, and encourage your staff. Make sure you're doing all three of those. Okay. Um, learn about the um, what motivates people. Not everyone is motivated by the same things. Yes, money is typically one of the ways that most people have in common is their desire to make a living, their necessity to make a living. But some people are more motivated by money as opposed to others. So there are plenty of people, you and I both know them, Chris. They make enough to where uh, any incentives they're not really even interested, so you have to start looking for other things. What motivates this person? What's going to drive this person? Is it praise? Is it private praise? Is it public praise? Is it, um, being uh, sentimental, maybe like a gift? Different people, uh, uh different strokes for different folks, yeah, and uh. That's your job as a site owner, and guess what? Your job as a site owner never ends. I mean, even if you hire a professional manager to run the clinic for you, who's managing that manager? You know, at the end of the day, the buck stops with the owner. Um, There are no shortcuts to starting a site, and it could take years for the site to start running independently, meaning it can take years to develop enough momentum to... Kind of take your foot off the gas a little, if you want. And yep. you never oh, should do it. it. You never really should take your foot off the gas, and this is why our service for helping sites get more studies is in such high demand and has been in great demand during this pandemic. Uh, people understand yep. that for a thousand bucks, I think we're back to thirteen hundred bucks a month now. But during the pandemic, we
2: need, we need to discuss that. I'm not sure what our price point is right now
0: point is it's either a thousand or 1300. That would be a good point. You know, this is per (laughs) month. This is the, the value you're getting here is beyond. I mean, we get studies, study leads every week, but we help you with the budgets. We help you with any questions you may have. We help you scale your business. We help you get momentum. We help you with your training of your staff through our CRC academies. There's a lot. You know so i guess it's a good uh commercial to end it on uh what do you sure thinking, and anything else well
2: well that last bit there i would take it a step further i just happened to ask answer an email yesterday from um from a client from a long time ago who had reached out to say that they'd like to start service again um but they asked if they could just pay like a per service fee and my response to that was we're at a price point already where that per service charge would would be our monthly fee. Uh, We're priced so low, which I believe we are, that if you wanted to just hire us to negotiate a budget for you, say, it would cost that monthly fee Um, Mm -hmm. if you were to hire anybody else to do so. That's probably at minimum what you would get charged. Um, I know our competitors charge more than that for negotiating a budget. So um, it's at a very low price point. Tremendous value in what we do. Yep. And for just anybody who's still a hanger on, uh, Dan, uh, I looked this up real quick because I've I've also been um, confused by what the difference is between an extern and an intern. So I figured it was an optimal time to look it up and see what the difference is. Okay. Um, so an extern is, is always just an observer. They're never participating in any tasks directly. They're never paid and it's usually for a very short period of time and they're most often still in school. So they'll do this on winter break or something of that nature, winter or summer break typically. An intern takes on tasks of the company. So they're actually going to be uh, helping, right? They're going to be doing things that that are directly involved with this, with the company's production, whatever they're doing. I got um, it. It's longer and oftentimes they are paid interns just at a lesser amount than somebody that they've actually hired.
0: I see, yeah. So I guess in research, other than the getting paid part, uh what well, we referred to I guess were interns, although interestingly enough the schools refer to them as externs. So
2: Right, because yeah. that's where they usually come, come from as externs, right? They're in school still and they're doing it okay. for just to just to watch and learn how things are done at that company. But they're not actually participating in those activities.
0: Right. Other than drawing blood because they do want them to draw blood and do vitals and those kind of things.
2: That would be an intern then, because they're actually involved.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So According to the definition of, I read.
0: Yeah, that would make sense, but uh, it wouldn't make sense for the school to call them externs in that case. Um, right, especially
2: if they expect you know, them to do something.
0: Right. Yeah, because they're they're the expectation is that they're going to draw blood and help you out with the things you need help with. Yep. Um, but yeah, what a great presentation. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and thank you, Chris, and we'll catch you all later. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also... Email me if you'd like, dan at the clinical trialsguru.com. Thank
1: you very much.